welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. My name is Jenna. If we haven't met, I'm the executive pastor. I think I just heard someone shush. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, Glad to be together this morning. Um, Summer, like we're halfway through August. It's coming to an end. I hate to begin that way, but here we are. Anyways, this morning, uh, it's my honor to invite us into a call to worship. If you have been paying attention this week to the news, um, you maybe have noticed it's been a heavier week. Um, Montgomery brawl, uh, an instance of racial violence, wildfires in Hawaii, um, a mass shooting in Minneapolis on Friday night. And I know, at least for myself, sometimes um, I come into these moments together feeling that deeply, and it's heavy. Sometimes I'm a little numb to it, like you might be. Um, But either way, I think it's important as a community that we acknowledge what's happening in the world, whether or not our capacity can hold it or not. Um, We live in a world where we know about a lot of suffering, And sometimes we can't actually hold all the suffering of the world, um, but we're not actually meant to. And it's moments like this when we can acknowledge that um, and build a muscle together of holding grief and pain. And so that is just what I'd like to invite us to do this morning, just for a few minutes to the degree we're able. Um, So as we do that, I'd like to invite you to stand as we prepare our hearts. And if you'd like, maybe just close your eyes and take a deep breath and become present. The call to worship this morning is entitled, Will You Meet Us? Will you meet us in the ashes? Will you meet us in the violence, in the ache, and show your face within our sorrow and offer us your word of grace. That you are life within dying, that you abide within the dust, that you are what survives the burning, that you arise to make us new. And in our aching, you are breathing. And in our weeping, you are here. Within the hands that bear your blessing, enfolding us within your love. Amen. Let's sing together. Uh, Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Awaken. Uh, My name is Micah, if we have not met. Um, Also, forgot to mention, today is Sacred Sunday, so there is no screen if you were wondering, like, do these people think I know all these songs? No, we do not. Maybe some of you do. There are bulletins in the back and at the front up here, so uh, if you want to sing a little later when we sing again and you don't have one of those, grab one. Um... I would like to invite up my friend Sharon Jerzyk, uh, who will make her way up. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about some things that are happening and things we want to highlight as we make our way towards fall. And so each week, you'll be hearing from different folks who kind of lead and help lead different ministries at Awaken. 
Uh, so Sharon is going to tell us a little bit about something we do called Every Meal. So a one Sharon Jerzyk, everybody. Good morning. Um, on behalf of the missional team, I'd like to share a little bit about Every Meal, how we partner with them, and how you can get involved. So Every Meal is an organization that's, hiding, that's fighting child hunger by providing food for children when they don't have access to school meal programs. So that would be when there's no school in session, as well as on weekends during the school year. They are currently serving over 12,000 children in the state of Minnesota, working in 450 schools, and they have 150 schools on their wait list. So there's a high demand. Wow. Awaken partners with them several ways. First of all, every year we give them a financial support, and that comes through our missional budget. So when you give, to awaken, you are already supporting every meal, and we thank you for that. So that money goes toward purchasing all this food, and once the food comes in, they need a ton of volunteers to take it off the pallets and assemble it into bags, which will eventually go to the homes of those children. So awaken, several times a year, we take groups of volunteers out to their warehouse in Roseville, where we take the food, assemble it into these bags, um, one of the cool things that Every Meal does is they understand that there's a diverse population that they're serving. So the families are provided offers, they're offered several options for the meal bags, including East African, Latino, and Southeast Asian, as well as other options. We have um, scheduled ourselves and committed to providing volunteers to help with the assembly of food bags on September 13th, which is a Wednesday in the evening. And every meal welcomes volunteers ages eight and up, so this is a great opportunity to get your kids involved also. We'd love to have you sign up for that. And then once the food is in these meal bags, those have to somehow get into the hands of the children, and that's the other way that we help out. So for the last many years, we have adopted one of those 450 schools, um, and it's Global Arts Plus Academy Lower Campus. Well done. Formerly known as Linwood Monroe. <laughs> and we have a, a group of volunteers that goes in on Fridays during the school year, and they take these bags of assembled food, they put them in backpacks, put the backpacks in student lockers. So at the end of the day on Friday, students go to their locker, grab this backpack, and they go home knowing that there will be food for them over the weekend. That has been a committed group of Awaken Nights doing that work, and they could really use some help. So if you're available on Fridays, we'd love to see you join that team and help provide food for the children at Global Arts. And our hope and our prayer is we can get enough volunteers that we can not only support that school, but we can adopt a second school. Currently, there are five elementary schools in St. Paul that are on the wait list, as well as two schools that are in desperate need of volunteers in order to continue receiving the services of every meal. So please consider doing that. Not only do you serve children, but you get to hang out with some pretty cool Awakenites at the same time. So this week in the Awaken Weekly, you'll find um, links if you want to sign up both for the assembly in St. Paul, I'm sorry, in September in Roseville, as well as the Friday mornings. If you don't have access to the Awaken Weekly, there are also sign-up forms in the back. So after service, I will be there along with Tanya Kugel, who is our coordinator for every meal. 
if you expressed interest in any of those, then um, either Tanya or I will be in contact with you, and her email information will also be in the Awaken Weekly. Thanks. Sharon, Sharon said she was really nervous to do that. I think she's a pro. I think she's a total pro. Yeah. I mean, I'm a little nervous now. I'm a little nervous. Um, no, thank you, Sharon. And yeah, um, such great work. Um, so many great things happen at Awaken because of you and your investment in our community. So um, just want to keep these coming so you kind of get a sense of all the things that are happening that maybe you could connect with. Um, so a couple of other things that are happening. Uh, if you are new to our community, we want to um, welcome you. We're glad you're with us in the seat pockets in front of you or online. There's a button you can click that says, I'm new. Fill that out, and somebody from our team will reach out with a, an invitation to a beverage of your choice. We'll get to know you. You can get to know us a little. Um, if you have tithes and offerings that you've come ready to give, those in the cards can go in the black boxes, and there's a number of ways you can give online as well. Um, a couple of uh, events that are coming we want to highlight. Tomorrow, Mondays with Micah, so if you are a gentleman and um, have, your, have a vehicle, there are no rides provided to this, but if you can meet at Turtle Bread in Minneapolis in the Longfellow neighborhood, uh, that's important. There are multiple Minneapolis Turtle Breads. We will not be at Chicago. We will be in Longfellow. 7 a.m., um, just breakfast. Hang out and get to know some other guys at Awaken. That's tomorrow. There is a youth group gathering, a high school gathering on August the 16th, 7 to 9. If you have questions about that, Trevor at AwakenWest7th.com. And then finally, there is a Moms with Babies event on August the 17th. So moms gather here uh, in the nursery, hang out with other moms. Heidi Akpayete is the connection for that. Uh, her email is in the Awaken Weekly, so you can um, sign up for that. Sound good? All right, friends, if you have your Bibles, you're going to want to find Nehemiah. It's a tough one, buried in there. Uh, because we are in week six of a series on Nehemiah, which is a story about the rebuilding of the city walls in Jerusalem. The Babylonians have come in, and they have captured the southern kingdom, the only remaining kingdom of Israel, uh, Judah. And they have taken them captive. They've made their way back to the city to rebuild the walls. Many of you know, um, a few weeks ago, a month ago, Awaken was involuntarily removed from our denominational partner called the Evangelical Covenant Church. And um, in a lot of ways, not much changes around here, right? Like we've been gathering, um, Awaken seems to be growing. Many of you keep coming and finding Awaken and, and saying yes to or finding resonance in this church, in this ministry, and all that is well and good. And at the same time, there's a great loss for, for us and for many of us. Um, but uh, it was clear and is clear that the covenant cannot be what we need it and hoped it could be in the future. And so uh, we move on. Um, we move on to the things that we believe God has called us to. So uh, like Nehemiah, we have grieved and mourned some of the loss of those things. We have sought God in prayer and turned our face to, the, to, to, to heaven and said, Spirit, lead us, right? Um, and empower the things that are happening here with your, your spirit and your, your energy, um, even amidst sometimes opposition that we may find to the work of the kingdom in the world. Uh, we press on as a church united and of one heart and mind in this thing that we believe God has called us to. And that requires all hands on deck, yeah? Uh, a couple weeks ago, we left you with the question of what is yours to do here at Awaken? Um, and in, in it, uh, an encouragement to, to be a part of building the well that we call Awaken and that we gather around. Last week, we saw opposition uh, to the work of Nehemiah come from within the camp. And Nehemiah leads by example. 
Uh, you know, the, the, he's afforded all kinds of benefits as the governor of Israel, including taxes on f- of food and, and drink. And yet Nehemiah knows the situation, right? And spirit trumps structure, and he decides to feed the people instead of tax them, even though he's able to do so. So he leads by example. Um, and last week, we, we talked about that, about what does it mean to be a leader? And um, I have to be totally honest with you. Uh, last week felt very weird to me in some ways. You know, I can't remember the last time I preached a sermon about like, you know, what does it mean, you know, from scripture? What does it mean to be a good leader? I felt like I had heard that sermon like 15 years ago at a church that I left. And maybe some of you heard that sermon at a church you were previously at. It was a little awkward for me. And I want to just name that. It was also really hot in here. I don't know if you remember that. But I just started sweating about halfway through. Um, And I was thinking about that this week. And the more I sat with it, the more I just kept coming back to the deep well of wisdom that we find in the scriptures on a whole host of matters. And in this case, it really is about a person who has said yes to leading something on behalf of an invitation or because of an invitation he's sensed from God. And as weird as it felt, preaching a sermon about being a good leader, I was thinking about, like, find me a success story in life, in church, in politics, in education, in business that doesn't have at its center a good leader or great leaders. And it is deeply spiritual. And so, uh, ironically enough, we're going to come back to it today because we find that that's what's in the text. Uh, Before we begin, I started with an assumption last week, and I want to name that again, and that is, I believe that everyone in this room has a capacity or a, a level of influence that is available to you in your life, and that influence is directly connected to leadership. To the degree that you can influence others, whether, whether it be one person or a team of people, whether it be in your family or at your workplace or in your neighborhood or some other way, we all have these areas of influence that are a part of our life. And that is the potential for leadership. So I think all of us have the possibility and the, and the potential to lead, and we are leading in some ways in our life. So today we're going to see opposition to the work of Nehemiah. Uh, and the people from this trinity of people, uh, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, these sort of, uh, this cadre of, of uh, well, they're, they're influential, they're important, they're uh, people of influence and means in this story. Uh, the wall has been built, it's, it's being built, right? the foundations have been laid, and like progress is happening, it's moving along, right? And uh, these three knuckleheads, we'll see, employ some very age-old strategies to throw off a leader on the thing that they've been called to do, they've been invited to do. They, they attempt to get them to kind of fumble the ball right at the last minute as they're about to cross the finish line. Uh, when, when my wife and I, Laura, were having our children eons ago... Um, I, was, I was very interested in that experience. I found it to be a sacred and beautiful process and experience. So I was maybe a little more invested in that birth experience than the average partner, I think. Uh, I've been told, people are like, man, what is it with you and birth? You, like, you're not even having the baby. I know, I know, but it's just, it was amazing. And so I remember this one part of uh, learning about the, the birth experience and the process that they call transition, And it comes at the end after you've labored and labored and labored. And it's the moment at which your body is like, no, 
we are not doing this from what I've heard. Like, no, it's over. I cannot do it. And like, you're so close at that moment. They say like, if you can push through transition, it's like, it's downhill from there. And I found that metaphor to be true of life and leadership. That right when it gets good, right when it's about to get good, when you're about to sort of, the, the, the tide's going to turn and the momentum's going to flip, there is often opposition. There is often uh, people or situations that come and challenge you, right, to see if you can't get it done at the end there. Uh, think about running a marathon, right? They talk about the wall. It comes at the end, and a lot of runners will talk about it. Like, when you think it's, you can't do it anymore, it's like there's this last boost that you need to get across the finish line. And I think that's true of leadership. Today, we'll see some predictable ploys by these three guys. Uh, so this is Nehemiah chapter 6. Nathan is going to be reading our text. So I'd invite you in body or in spirit to stand for the reading of the scripture. We do that every week uh, out of respect and also out of readiness. We want to be ready to hear the words of scripture. So um, Nathan, chapter 6 of Nehemiah. Then word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, and Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it. Though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messages to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message. And each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter, in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who, shut, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah, and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. 
Pray with me. God, this morning, uh, as we gather as your church, we pray and trust that your spirit is among us and with us. And I pray that you would speak a word of encouragement, of challenge, uh, of hope to us, so that uh, our lives might be transformed, maybe even just a little, so that we might look a little bit more like Jesus. I pray in the strong name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit, the church said together, amen. You may be seated. The wall's done, everybody. Woo! Okay. So we read about the completion of the wall in this chapter, but not before uh, these three folks offer some real challenges and um, opposition to Nehemiah. And it highlights three pretty common ways in which opposition comes if you find yourself leading, if you find yourself responsible for something that's important. Like if you're going to write a book on how to throw off a leader, these three things would be in it. Um, But before we look at those, I actually want to start by noticing something, and that is that I would say it this way, divine invitation does not mean that you will not struggle. Like, even if you've heard from God, even if you believe that you have heard an invitation or you've sensed an invitation from the divine, from God, to step into something, it doesn't mean that you won't struggle or even suffer. I think we get this idea, right? Nehemiah, he's been invited by God to lead this project. You maybe even say he's been called by God, if you want to use that language. And I think there's this belief that sometimes we fall into, which is if God has called me, then we're good to go. Like, if God is in this, like, the the way will be paved because God wants it to happen. Uh, We're on the good guy side, and so, uh, you know, we're we're fine. And and I said this a few weeks ago, and I'll say it again today, and that is um, because I, I, I believe it, and I think we'd be wise to remember it, that we live in a world where both good and evil exist. Jenna's call to worship this morning highlights that. The news every night highlights that. That we live in a world where there is a struggle happening between that which is good and that which is evil. Uh, That which is rooted in sacrificial love and that which is rooted in self-preservation or self-service. That there are these two narratives and they're happening at the same time all around us every day. And we would be wise to remember that. And I don't know how it always works I don't want to go immediately to demons and angels and exorcisms, and if you're reticent about that, I'm with you, but I think it's wise for us to remember that this is true, that there is a struggle, Uh, and every now and again, I have to preach a sermon that requires me to ask the question, do you really believe that still? Like, I've deconstructed a lot of things in my 15, 20 years as a pastor with you, many of that, much of that has happened among you and with you, but Easter is one of those mornings where I have to stand up here and talk about a guy who's risen from the dead. And I have to ask every Easter, like, do I still believe that? Because for better or for worse, I'm a really bad liar and I can't fake it. My wife wishes I could. You know, we're at parties sometimes and she's like, I know you don't like that guy, but would you just fake it? You know? (laughs) And I'm like, I'm sorry. It's one of my blessings and curses, you know? And so I can't stand up here and tell you something is true if I don't actually believe it. And this book and this idea has been one of those moments. Like, do you still really believe that's true, Micah? You know, like you read Frank Peretti and all those things and you, you were way, like all the way down that road for a while. And do you still believe that we live in a world where there, there are like forces, beings, humans that are 
you know, standing over here, and then there are others who are standing over here, and that they actually oppose one another, and that there's conflict that happens because of that. And maybe not just humans, but maybe even spiritual realities. I do still believe that's true. And I think we would be wise to remember that. And so just because you've sensed an invitation from God, just because you feel like God is inviting you to do something or even calling you to do something, if you want to use that language, that does not mean that you will not suffer. That does not mean that it will not come without struggle. In fact, I would argue that it probably will come with struggle because you're in, that, you're in the mix, right? You're in the, you're in the struggle, when, we were, when I was early church planting, you know, we had these church plant trainings, and Mike Brown, who was our church plant director, he would always say, like, if you say yes to starting a church, like, you can guarantee that there will be struggle. Like, you have a target on your back as a church planter because you're doing something to stand over here for sacrificial love and for hope and for justice, and that is opposed to so much of what's happening in our world. So just know that it's coming and prep yourself for it. So I just want to notice that as we begin. Now, let's move to the efforts of these three knuckleheads, Sanballat, Tobias, and Geshem. The first of which we find in verse 2. Distraction and isolation. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plains of Ono. That may seem like a really benign invitation, but the work being done by Nehemiah and his countrymen, it's in Jerusalem. Right? It's in the city. And other than some maybe stone that's quarried off-site or timber that's been logged somewhere else, like the work is in Jerusalem, and there's really no need for Nehemiah to leave the city and to go meet with these people for any reason. And Nehemiah is clear on his calling. He's clear on the work he's been invited to do. And so he refuses to go and be distracted by this invitation from important people to meet somewhere and to talk about something. He won't be distracted because he's got work to do. Even if these guys mean like no ill will, which of course they do, Nehemiah knows what job is his. And when you say yes to something of significance, when you say yes to something of import, it's really, really helpful to know what is yours to do and maybe even more importantly, what is not yours to do. Newsflash, you are not good at everything. So you're not responsible for everything. I am not good at everything. I could get a lot of people to testify to that. <laughs> Who get close enough to me to see that I'm not good at everything. And I'm not responsible for everything. I can't tell you the number of times I've been asked to a meeting where people have invited me on behalf of Awaken to take on any number of things, right? Like, I think we should have this kind of ministry at Awaken. To which I often answer, sounds like you have a lot of energy for starting that at Awaken. Right? But when you're really clear about what is yours to do, and you have laser clarity on that, it's actually quite easy to know what's not yours to do. And when you aren't clear about what's yours to do, it's a really hard situation to find yourself in when someone asks you to do a good thing. Because how can you say no to a good thing? Something that God would probably even celebrate. When you're saying yes to things that are important, one of the ways we get distracted is not by, being, by not being clear about what's yours to do and what's not yours to do. 
And so I would just invite you to consider, as a leader, as a person who has influence in your life, like, what is yours to do and what is not yours to do? As a church, we've become really clear about our path. Like, what is this thing called Awaken and what's unique about it and what's ours to do? There's, like, hundreds of churches in the cities. And people come and they say, oh, we'd love for Awaken to be this. And often I'm found saying, you know, that's a really beautiful thing, but that's just not what's ours to do. And if you're looking for that, you'd be, happy, you'd be better off going to these four other churches. But that's just not ours to hold. So distraction is one of the... the, the, the uh, and, and, then, and then isolation, right? These guys, they invite him alone to the Plains of Ono. Did you catch that? Like, come meet with us, just you on the Plains of Ono. Far away from all your friends and all your support and all your people, come and meet with us. And again, if they don't mean him ill will, which they do, that would be one thing. But when you, when you say yes to something that's important and there's opposition, one of the worst things you can do is isolate yourself. If you're trying to make that marriage work, isolation is death. If you're trying to make, you know, like move in your career and like in your, in your, your field of interest and, and make, like have an impact, one of the worst things you can do is be isolated to do that work alone. So distraction and isolation come first from these guys, and they can't move him. They can't distract him. So they move straight to number two, which is character attacks and rumors, right? Just classic. It's a classic move. These guys can't get him to, to they can't distract him and, and shake him from his game, and they can't isolate him, and so they just start, like, saying things about him. They're ready for first grade or an American political cap, uh, campaign, right? It's the same tactics, you know, just, like, start rumors about people that aren't true, and spread it to all the people who are listening. In leadership, when you say yes to influence and important things, you can, pre- you can predict the spreading of false information and attacks on the character of a leader. It just, it, it, it is, it is it's, it's boring it happens so often. So two things I would say about that. Number one, be above reproach. And two, don't take the bait. Like, there's this idea in scripture that Paul keeps coming back to in the New Testament, that he encourages churches like ours who are trying to live lives, faith, faithful lives to Jesus. He says, be above reproach. 1 Timothy 3, an overseer, a leader in the church, must be above reproach. Philippians 2, so that you will prove yourselves blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach in the midst of the world that you live in, among whom you will appear as lights in the world. Colossians 1, Christ has reconciled you in his body by his death in order to present you holy and blameless, above reproach. What does that even mean, to be above reproach? I want to suggest it means not being open to attack or criticism. Like, meaning you don't spend a lot of time dancing on the fine line between right and wrong. Like, you just steer clear of it. There's no dirt to dig up on you. And I recognize this is a lofty goal. Be above reproach. As a person who follows the way of Jesus, you represent the name of Jesus. As a person who goes to Awaken, you represent Awaken, right? As a person who bears your last name, you represent your family. So there's this sense in which, like, be above reproach. Be, be like, live your life in such a way that there's, there's no footholds, there's no handholds for anyone to even grab onto. You're like Teflon, baby. Be above reproach. And if you are, and again, that's a lofty goal, right? But I find that scripture continues to invite us to that life, continues to raise the bar 
on our character so that you don't have to take the bait, right? When, when someone says something about you that's not true, you, like, there's no level of anxiety that rises in you because you're like, that's, you're making that up, right? What, his, his response is classic. What you're saying, you're making it up out of your head. <laughs> like, there's nothing there. So you can trust, you can stand like quiet, actually. You can stand still in God, trusting that God is working together with you for good in the world. When I was a kid, I, I, well, I still do have four brothers, but when we were younger, we would play this game with one another. And if you've watched siblings, um, young siblings, you, you know how this goes, where you just egg one another on. Like, you know the things that, like, trip the triggers, and you know how to get under the skin of said brother. And so you literally, like, set a trap for them, you know? You just, like, serve one up, like, lob up a meatball and just wait for them to take the bait. And it's, like, so much fun. I have some friends at our church, Josh and Kate Peterson, they play this game in their family, and they've gotten me on it many, many times, where someone will say something just flagrant, you know, like totally out of bounds or completely inaccurate, and they're just waiting for you to just jump in full steam ahead, and then they simply say to you, overeager. (laughs) Wouldn't that be a fun game to play? Terrible people would do that. It's just a setup. Don't take the bait. I've lived 46 years on this planet, and I've found a couple things along the way. One of them is, as much as I want to, when someone says something that's not true about you, what you immediately want to do is defend yourself. Stand up and say what's true and right. Like, send it out on blast so that everybody knows that's not true. Wisdom would say, after these number of years of life on this planet, and and as me, you know, as one who often would be found taking the bait, it's not worth it. Don't take the bait. And if you've lived a life that's above reproach, you don't have to take the bait. That's a predictable and boring ploy of the enemy and those who oppose you, and it will come. So first we have distraction. Second, we have uh, this idea of taking the bait and sort of egging him into this. And last, uh, we see these guys try to get under Nehemiah and uh, by fear, use of fear, and like inviting him to compromise himself as a leader. In verse 10, we see these guys, and they say, let us, or they send people from Nehemiah's, like, camp to meet with him, and they say, let's meet in the house of God, inside the temple. Let's close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. Two things at play. Those who oppose Nehemiah and his work, they assume that Nehemiah will value his life more than what he's been called by God to do. They assume that he's going to value his own life more than what he's been called by God to do. They say people are coming to, give, to kill you. You should hide and protect yourself. And what they don't count on is that Nehemiah has already given up his life. Nehemiah has already given up his own life for the sake of the cause and for the sake of God and the world. And this is the bizarre and upside-down nature of the invitation of the gospel. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 16. He says, you'd be a fool to try to work hard to save what you can't keep. Like, we spend so much time grasping and trying to protect and secure our own lives. And guess what? Death will come for everyone, even you. So we spend all this time and energy trying to secure and prop up and and protect our very lives. 
and, and as we do, we run the risk of losing what Jesus has on offer. He says, take, give me your life, and I will give you mine. They assume Nehemiah is going to protect his own life. And it appears that Nehemiah has already done the wise thing and recognized this bizarre transaction, this bizarre currency that we, are, that we find ourselves in. That if we want to keep our life, if we, wanna, if we want peace and eternity, we actually have to exchange it. I'm curious, like, what would you be willing to give up your life for? What have you given up your life for? What have you already given up your life for? Jim Elliott, who's a famous missionary, uh, was martyred in the jungles of South America, and he has this famous quote that I think sums this up. He says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This is the upside-down nature of the kingdom. And these guys assume that Nehemiah will value his own life more than the work that he's been called to do. Is there anything that you've given up your life for, that you've said at all costs, I will walk this road? Was it in uh, Hamilton? He says to Burr, you know, if you, if you, what will you stand for, what will you fall for? What is that line? You know what I'm talking about. Just, just listen, to the, listen to the deal. That's a great road trip, by the way. Uh, so they assume Nehemiah is going to value his own life more than what he's, what he's been called to. And they assume that he'll engage in an, in an action that will compromise his leadership. Right? They say, come to the temple and shut yourself in. Protect yourself. If you don't know anything about <clears throat> Israel and the temple, Nehemiah is not a priest. He's a prophet. And only certain people are allowed to go into certain places in the temple. And Nehemiah knows that if he goes into the temple and that far into the temple and does what these people are asking him to do, he will be disqualified. He'll be in big trouble. And so he says, no, I won't do that thing that will disqualify me, that will compromise me and the thing that I've been called to do. So a pause this morning, a very important thing to think about and consider. In the work that you've been called to do, in the the invitation that you've sensed in your own life, Is there anything that would disqualify you from that work? Have you thought about that? Like, what's the thing that would actually render you out? Like, you'd be on the sidelines, no longer able to participate in that thing that you've sensed you've been invited to do. Is there anything that would disqualify you from that work? Nehemiah's opposition comes at the final hours, right, as the wall's almost complete and they're very predictable. Distraction and isolation, character attacks, fear, an attempt to compromise his leadership. I want to close with just a thought and a question. The thought is, leaders are often the target of opposition. If you say yes to something of import, I would submit to you that you will likely be the target of opposition. Why? Because if you get the one, you, you get the rest, right? It's simple. If you've, have you been bowling lately? You know, there's this, the one pin, it's the first one, and it's the, right, I think it's the three, one, two, three. If there's a, it's called the pocket. Like, if you get the ball right in that spot, you get all the rest of the pins. But you got to get the head pin. And if you miss the head pin, you, you're, you're going to have a split, and it's going to be terrible. Why do, why do you get, when, you, when you're in leadership, when, you have, when you're doing things that are important, why is there opposition? Because if you get the one, you get the rest. 
That's just strategy. It's easy. So, as leaders, a couple of thoughts. Be wise. Be shrewd. Right? Be wise as serpent, shrewd as doves, or the vice versa, whatever that is, the, pro- the proverb. Don't be naive. Don't be naive to think that you're above that. Especially, like, men in the room for whom patriarchy has set us up to lead in more cases than not, there's a few predictable spots that we have fallen prey to over the course of history. Power, sex, and money. Don't be dumb. You're not better than that, men. And I don't know, because I'm not a female, and we haven't given females enough chance to lead to where it's obvious for all of us. I'm curious to know, like, is there a, is there a trio for women? I don't know. That's predictable, right? Don't be naive. You're not above that. Protect yourselves. Be vigilant. Just because you're deconstructing some things doesn't mean you have to throw out good ideas, right? Do you guys remember the old accountability partner of evangelicalism? That's a really good idea. It's not a dumb idea, and you don't have to throw it out if you're deconstructing some things. Like, find somebody who can ask you the actual questions about your actual life so that you're not isolated, so that you don't have corners of your heart that are in, in, in the dark. Don't be naive. Protect yourselves as leaders. The thing that you've been called to do and invited to do, it matters. It matters for your kid or your company or the work that you're doing. So be vigilant. And I would submit, I would, I would ask, like, Pray for the people that lead in your life. Like, be in prayer for them, because that's hard work. And if you're doing it, you know. And I hope people are praying for you. That's my thought. My question for you is this, and we'll close here. It's pretty obvious in Nehemiah, right? There's a wall to build. There's a temple to rebuild. For, for Moses, there's an exodus to happen, right? A group of people who were enslaved. we got to lead them out of Egypt. It's pretty obvious, like, what the thing is. I'm curious if you had to answer the question for today. In 2023, what are the things that the church can be invited into that advances the work of God in the world, right? That moves the kingdom down the way. What are, the, what are the ways in which the church, you, me, people who follow Jesus, could say yes to the things that matter for this story over here, right? Sacrificial love, hope, forgiveness, justice. If you had to actually answer that question, this is an all play. I'd love to hear some of your answers. What does it mean to say yes to advancing God's work in the world in 2023? How would you answer that question? Say it again. Defeat racism. Yeah, you can clap for that. What else? Yeah. Yes, appreciate beauty. Create beauty. Bring beauty into the world. Being an ally, especially for those who have less power. Be inclusive. Welcoming strangers, refugees, asylum seekers. Is it, say it again. Holding tension. Yeah. Peace, being peacemakers in your families. Love to your neighbor. Yeah. Being a person who brings about unity, right? Gang, there is no shortage of things 
that you can do. And kids in the room, if you hear me, I think you can apply this. There's no shortage of things that you can do to be a person that follows Jesus in the world. And those things matter. So sometimes when it's not as obvious, it's easy to become lazy. And it's easy to become complacent. And it's easy to stop being vigilant that there's a world that we live in where there's actual things happening. And our investment, our participation, our leadership in that world really does matter. So be vigilant. Be in prayer. Be people who, like, protect yourselves. Be above reproach, right? These are the things Nehemiah models for us. And I want to extend them to us this morning as an invitation to step into, to become uh, aware of and move towards as people who follow Jesus in the world. Let me offer a word of prayer and uh, a moment for you to consider maybe what the Spirit is inviting you to think about and, and hear today. God, we take just a moment of silence this morning. We thank you for your word, both incarnate in Jesus and captured in this book. We thank you for this story of Nehemiah, for the ways in which it has provided for your people and your church this model of how to engage in the world that we live in, one that is uh, often at odds with one another. And so as people who are attempting to be with Jesus and in the way of Jesus, would you, by your spirit, invite us, turn on lights, um, show us what it is that's ours to do so that we might um, be open and awake to the ways opposition may come to that work so that we might be found faithful as followers of Jesus. Holy Spirit, do your work. As we make our way to the table this morning, a couple of instructions for you. If you are new with us, on my right and left, there is Eucharist available for any and all who would like to receive it. Uh, There is red wine and there's white grape juice. Uh, The bread there is gluten-free, and so we'd invite you to make your way down the side aisles, take a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. And as you do, know that the body of Christ has been broken for you. The blood of Christ has been shed for you. Um, I have a little mobile station, and I'll just make my way down the center aisle. If it's easier for you to receive communion where you are, it'd be my joy and honor to serve that to you. Um, But let's come to the table together as we are reminded of this story of Jesus' self-sacrifice, which is the engine of the universe, friends. So let's take it in. It was Hamilton to Burr. Burr, if you stand for nothing, what will you fall for? It's up there. It's like a sweaty guy running around looking for a file, you know? (laughs) I know that one. Man, it would have been great if I'd had it. Um, I don't know why this matters so much to me. Um, When we started this church, I just heard so many stories from people who walked away from Jesus because they met people who just said they followed Jesus but didn't act anything like him. And I just think that is so tragic that people... And so for me, like one of my great goals 
And my prayers in life is that I will, that I will be faithful all the way to the end. That like my life and who I am as a pastor and as a leader, that I wouldn't disqualify myself. And man, that takes a lot of work. And it takes a community and it takes people and it takes honesty and authenticity. But like, it really matters. When you say, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus. Like how we live our lives in the world, it has impact. And so my hope and prayer for you is that you will be readied and prepared to be faithful in the call that you have on your life. You'll have all the tools and skills and things that you need to walk that road so that we would get to the end and be faithful. The gospel is offensive enough. Lose your life. Give it up. We don't need to add offense to it. And that just takes a lot of work. And it takes uh, a community of people doing it together. So my hope and my prayer for us is that we would find grace when we fall, but that we would be diligent and vigilant in our lives so that when we arrive to them, that they bear a resemblance of the Jesus that we follow in hopes that it's good news. Because I think the world needs more of that, not less of it. Amen? Would you stand, if you're able, for a benediction? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The church said together, amen. Go in peace and serve the Lord. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.